It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, my family and I um, have been in the U.S. for a few months now. We returned from the Philippines uh, back in month of June. And as you probably know, uh, with the coronavirus around the whole world, it changed the way things run um, throughout the world. And it affected uh, our initial plans to return to the U.S. for a furlough. Originally, we would have been here in the month of uh, April of, la of 2020, visiting and, and uh, seeing people. And uh, our plan was to come to the States in April and uh, come to the West Coast first, go to the East Coast, see family there, and then go back to the Philippines in July. But with uh, the lockdowns and coronavirus and everything that happened in March, it changed all of our plans. And so we got stuck there. And, um, and after spending $12,000 on plane tickets, uh, we didn't know what would happen, but thankfully all the airlines reimbursed us and um, refunded our, our plane tickets because we couldn't fly. Everything got shut down around the world, and uh, so it affected our initial way of getting here. We were able to come, uh, by June we were able to leave and get to the U.S., and when we flew in, we went directly from Manila to Atlanta. Uh, yeah, through Atlanta, Georgia, went by Korea, Korean Airlines. So Manila to Korea, Korea to Atlanta. And um, you have to understand that in the Philippines, uh, there was no testing for any of, of the foreigners. We never got tested for anything. And even leaving and flying like we did, we thought, well, we'll probably get tested along the way and to see if we've ever had the coronavirus or whatever, you know, just protocols. Never got tested. And then we fly into Atlanta, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm coming back to the U.S. U.S. citizen, they probably will test me there, you know, and we'll get tested, and we'll have to tell them where we're quarantining and doing all of this. And so we land, we go through the passports, we go through the immigration, and you know at the very end when you, uh, you give them the little slip of paper to tell them this is your belongings and everything, um, we found out they don't even do that anymore. They have, a little, they have an interview. So we're talking to a guy, and he's asking us some questions, and, you know, um, we're not bringing any drugs in. We're not bringing any, you know, don't have any fruits or anything like that. But um, after it was over, I asked the guy, uh, just want to make sure, do you need to know where we're quarantining? See, in Asia, they track everything, Okay. So we're used to that. That's been the mindset. So when we come here, I ask, do you need to know where we're going to quarantine? I can give you the address. And the guy looks at me and says, well, uh, we think that's just a bunch of hooey here. <laughs> and I went, okay. And uh, anyway, we just have a nice day, walked out. And so I'm like, I felt like I was being illegal um, because nobody was tracking me. And uh, But... The coronavirus did change the world, and we all have faced that in different ways. But just to give you a perspective as I get started from the Filipino perspective, we were teaching classes regularly. Everything was going along very smoothly. And then when the lockdown happened, everything shut down in terms of face-to-face -face classes. Uh, the Philippines has had one of the most severe lockdowns in all the world, if you could imagine that. Uh, when it first started, only one of us could leave the house 
only to get essential items. And when you left the house, you have to have a badge and you had to go through military checkpoints to get where you needed to go. Uh, usually Kim would go out and get groceries. Most of the time her temperature was checked five to six times within a mile span. I mean, just every time you went from one building to another, your temperature was checked, sometimes checked twice. And the buildings are smaller, so you're, it took one time, it took, I was in line for two hours to go into a grocery store, waiting outside, working, you know, my way to the front of the entrance. And then the security guard comes and asks me, are you a senior citizen? And I said, um, no, but I think the white hair gives me away, you know. It's, it's, so anyway, they asked that, and I went, no. And I found out that if I had been a senior citizen, and wait, doesn't matter if I did, it would not have mattered if I waited in line for the two hours, they would have told me, get in your car, go home, you're not allowed in the store. I'm like, how am I going to eat? And, um, but uh, anyway, they let me go in and get the groceries. That was the day I had to go out and get them. But if you're, if you were 21 years old and 60 years old, 60 and up, 21 and younger, you're not allowed to leave your house. And it has remained that way, except they've lessened the restrictions somewhat. I think it's now 15 and younger and 65 and older. You're not even allowed to leave your house. And if you're standing outside your house and nobody's around you and you're not wearing a mask, they could put you in jail. They're not, doing, they're not that strict as, as now as they used to be, but it really affected the Philippine nation. And, um, and so they've, right now they have a travel ban, 30, over 30 countries. If you're a foreigner, you're not allowed into the country, and you can't even buy a ticket. And so, so it's, it's, it has affected the world. And... And everybody has had to deal with it. And so we, it, it, it was interesting how it shut all of our classes down, but we all went online like, every, like all of you have. We went online. Our church went online. Our classes went online. And, and so we're still progressing as best as possible. The men that I have been teaching for two years, two, a little over two years, I finished out, I finished teaching them online, but now they're still trying to do their work. But some of the pastors, their life got so upended that they had to basically shut down everything they were doing and do whatever they can just to try to bring food into the house for their family and, and just function in that way. So even though we were able to kind of meet online and, and gather together, for practical purposes, none of the, many of the men were not able to do any of their assignments. So it, it really affected them. And so keep them, these men in your prayer. These, these guys, these men pastor churches, 80, 90 people. They got small churches, medium-sized churches. And, and here everybody's facing all of this, and they're trying to still shepherd and teach and preach. And so... Um, it is very difficult for them. And most of the time, they don't even have, they're struggling just to provide for themselves financially. And so, um, but do keep them, these men in your prayers. But so we've been back since June. Um, for those of you who don't know, my parents' health has diminished greatly over the last year. And I've had to come back to help them. 
uh, in their uh, in my eldest sister we manage their health care and and so I've had to come back and be more attentive to that so we're still here doing that in um, on the East Coast so keep my parents in your prayers my stepmom has developed dementia full dementia and it's been growing I guess getting worse over the years and it's getting gotten to an advanced uh, kind of an advanced stage and so just keep her in your prayers and um, but they don't live at home anymore we have them in an assisted living facility together they're in the same room together but it was getting pretty bad for them to live on their own it got to the point where they couldn't anymore and so uh, just keep them in your prayers but I, but I'm able to visit with them once a week when, um, while I'm in the area and so that's a good thing and keep in touch with them in that way uh, I haven't been able to hug them because of COVID basically we meet outside their window and do a window visit uh, they the place did do outdoor visits where I could sit, you know, six, seven feet apart um, and talk with them. But uh, now they're back doing window visits again uh, because of how the coronavirus has surged everywhere. So, but they got their vaccine. They're getting their second dose next month. And we're hoping that over the next few months that things will open up again, but we'll have to see how it goes. But the Lord is gracious throughout everything. I mean, you've had your COVID experience, I would imagine. You, you faced the pandemic in whatever way uh, it has affected you. Um, I have known people who have come down with it. Um, I've known some who have passed away from it. And um, it, has, it has changed the world. It has affected the world. And we'll probably never forget 2020, right? I mean... My wife even found an ornament for our Christmas tree that is a circle with the coronavirus spikes. So every year when we put out our Christmas ornaments, we will never forget 2020. And um, we have a visual reminder of, of this past year. From everything for the coronavirus and, and, all, and, and how that's affected the world, to all of the, the social issues, to, uh, to this being an, an election year that we went through, all the political drama, um, the cultural drama. It has been an interesting year. And that, that's the way it is for us as Christians. We live in a world that's always changing, never the same. We're living in a world that has its challenges, and, and, and God has called us to live in such a world and live in such a time as this. We face all the challenges of life, and it's, it seems to never end. There's always drama somewhere, and sometimes it, it comes home, doesn't it? And, and, and as the world keeps changing, it, it doesn't get better and better. Most of the time, it seems things keep getting worse and worse. I just heard two or three days ago that it's going to get worse before it gets better. They've been saying that since March. Is it ever going to get better? But that's the way, just generally speaking, living in a sinful world. This is never going to be heaven on earth. We're never going to have that utopia that people may want. We live in a, a harsh world. 
We live in a world that's filled with sin. And, and we can thank our Lord and give him praise and give him glory that he has saved us out of that. Even though we live in this world, this is, this is not our eternal home. And it never will be. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. Peter tells us that the, this present heaven and uh, heavens and earth, this present universe is going to melt with fervent heat. That means it's going to evaporate. It's going to be gone. So no more Starbucks, okay? You know, you go to the door, you want to go in and get a Starbucks coffee, and, and you have to knock on the door and they're closed. But then you got 25 cars lined up, and you're wondering, do I get into that line? I'll just go home and make a fresh pot, you know. I'm not going to deal with that. Even though you got a, somebody gave you a gift card and you got $25 on it and you know you got free coffee, still can't get it, you know. This world has its challenges. And we face them. And we're not the only generation of Christians that's had to face challenges. The passage that we have for this morning is in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. But we're going we're gonna to look just at this passage. But the church that Paul is writing to, the church at Colossae, they had their challenges. They are Christians living in a world like ours that does not follow Christ. They're living in a world that is not designed to live a holy life and, and follow the Lord and live according to His will. It's not the world's system. It never has been and it never will be. And so the system that they were living under, the times in which they lived, was very similar to our own. Even though culture was different, you know, you didn't have internet back in those days. No Facebook back then, you know. Paul didn't go around doing selfies. But it's still the same kind of sinful world that has its challenges. For the church at Colossae, they were facing a battle. They were facing a battle. And, and Paul is going to address that in chapter 2 of the book. He's going to address it very specifically in chapter 2. But he's, there is this heresy that's wanting to creep in to the church. And, and, and the heresy would change the teaching of the church. It would change the, the teaching that had been presented in the church. It would change the gospel as it has been presented. And, and it would give a different view of Christ and a different view of what it means to live the Christian life if that heresy would be allowed to continue. Uh, Paul doesn't give it a name. He doesn't say it's, you know, it's this or that. He doesn't label it, but from what we can tell, this heresy that, it, that had creeped in or it was wanting to creep in, it, it, it had a diminished view of who Jesus is. It had a diminished view of, of the work of Christ on the cross. And, and it was some kind of way in which they wanted you to have some level of a, what we call asceticism, which is you got to do certain things, legalistic standards, if you're going to truly have righteousness. Paul would talk about, they would say, well, you got to, you know, touch not, handle not. 
And so it was kind of a, an ascetic kind of way of living. And what they were doing, whatever it was really called, it was kind of like a Jewish-based religion mixed in with pagan philosophy, all merged together in some form or some fashion. And the end result would be that the true gospel message of Christ dying on a cross, rising again from the dead, saving you from your sins through repentance and faith, that that clear teaching of the gospel was going to be diminished. It was going to be diluted or go away in some form, some fashion. It was going to hinder that, attack that. And when Paul found out about this, Paul's in Rome at the time. He's nowhere near Colossae. When Paul finds out, he writes a letter. Now, you and I would do it differently. We would tweet. But there's too many words in here to tweet. You'd run out of tweets. Or we would get on our laptops and say, <laughs> I'll deal with this problem. And we'd start typing an email. Didn't have that technology back then, but what Paul could do was write a letter. This was something that was very important that he had to communicate. And the entire epistle, and we're just going to look at one portion of it, but the entire epistle is to help the Colossian believers go back and look again and be reminded of the clear teaching of who Jesus is and what the gospel is because you can't separate them. One's connected to the other. It's as though Paul is saying, I want them to understand very clearly, this is who Christ is. This is the Christ that was preached to you. This is the Christ that was uh, made known to you. This is the gospel that he presented to you and that the apostles and we as Christian preachers are making sure you understand. And he writes this letter to remind them of those truths and to tell them, if you're truly going to live the Christian life, you can't follow the heresy that's, in, that's invading you. You've got to follow the truth. And he specifies in this book what that truth looks like, what it consists of. That's what this book's about. It's very similar to the epistle of Ephesians. But we're not going to look at the entire epistle. We're just going to look at verses 9 to 14 because this is an interesting part of it. It's near the beginning of the epistle. It's not the heart of the epistle, but it is very crucial. What he says here really sets the stage of what he's going to say when he gets to the point where he addresses the heresy head on in chapter 2. Let me read these verses to you as we get started. And e Oh, but even though we're inside, I don't have a PowerPoint for you. Um, I was thinking that we would be outside. So I was asking Mike, what happens if somebody wants to say an amen? Well, I think outside you beep your car horn, right? So either it's a sermon or it's a political rally. I don't know. But anyway, I thought that would be interesting. That would actually be a new experience for me. I preached in all kinds of situations. Most of my preaching now is on YouTube. 
I, I go to, there's this, we have a room in our house uh, where we're staying with my wife's parents. And um, every week I preach, I'm the Friday night preacher for Life Field for our church in the Philippines. They have a nightly broadcast. So each of the pastors is given a night, um, except for Thursday night. Thursday night's for my wife. She teaches the women of the church. So, um, but they broadcast it on Thursday night. But the other nights of the week is for the pastors of the church. I'm Friday night speaker. And so what I do is I have to record myself. Um, I video a sermon, so I'm talking into my phone. That's about it. It's interesting. After I preach, nobody says anything. I, I get no praise, but I get no complaints. I love it. Um, then I, I preach to my phone. Then it's over. Then I have to get it edited, and then I post it on my YouTube channel. When I post it on my YouTube channel, I disable the comment feature so that nobody can post bad comments. Um, I don't like hearing bad comments. So, so anyway, I, I, I do that, and then I send the link to, the, to them out in the Philippines, uh, to the church, and then they, they show it on Friday night. And if I preach on a Sunday, it's the same kind of procedure. So that's new to me. I haven't, um, but I thought preaching outside would be a new, new thing, but they brought me inside, but that's okay. Um, but we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14, and, and this is a very, very interesting passage, and let me read it to you as we get started. Paul writes these words, and so, he's building off of what he had already said, and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This passage, starting in verse 9, is kind of typical of Paul's way of writing a letter. Writing a letter. Normally, the way it would work is... When Paul wrote a letter, remember when Paul wrote the letter, no chapter ver numbers, no verse numbers. So um, he had this kind of a structure. He always give an opening greeting, who's writing it, who is it to, and um, grace to you and peace, right? So the little greeting is there. And, and again, that was kind of the typical way letters were written back then, just any kind of letter. But then what he would normally do is he would begin after the greeting. He would transition to the opening part of the body of the letter, and he would give a thanks to God. He'd always have what we call a thanksgiving section. And then some of the time, he would go from that to a prayer. And then after the prayer, then he would get into the meat of the book. I call it the meat of the book. This is what he, he's, ready to, he's ready to roll at that point. So the thanksgiving section and the prayer section was always preparatory. What he would say in those sections, kind of he wanted to get everybody in a certain frame of mind because of what was going to come next. Well, what we have in these verses is the prayer part, the prayer section. 
So it's critical to that preparation that he, he wants to put them in a certain understanding or a certain mindset. He wants their frame or mind to think a certain way. He wants to put them in a certain frame of mind so that he can get to the rest of the book, starting in verse 15, moving forward. We're going to focus on the prayer. Now, this passage, the purpose of this passage is not to teach you to pray. Okay? Even though it's good to pray, and the Bible teaches us to pray, that's not what this is about. What this is about, it's not to teach you to pray, but to focus on what the content of Paul's prayer is. Paul wants them to understand something. Paul wants them to think a certain way. Paul wants them to make sure they're going to have to deal with the situation that's facing them. He's got information. He's got, he's got an encouragement and a challenge for them of how to deal with that. He's going to address that. But before they can understand what he's going to write in chapter 2, they've got to understand this first. And he wants to also share his heart. When he writes this letter, he says, listen to me. This is very important to me. You are very important to me. Your life is very important to me. You are, a, you, you are always on my mind. You are always on my heart. And I want to share that with you. I want you to understand that. I want you to know that. And what you get here is Paul's personal prayer to God for them. You kind of get to take back the cover of Paul's heart, and if you want to see how his heart beats for the Colossian believers, these words in these verses is what is on his mind. He loves them. He cares about them. He is, he is like a shepherd to them. He doesn't come across as, hey, he doesn't ridicule them or put them down or complain against them. No, that's not his heart. His heartbeat is for them because of his love for them. And he wants to express that heart that he has for them in his prayer that he prays to God for them. It's the prayer of a shepherd. It's the prayer of someone who goes to the Lord in behalf of them because of the challenges they face. It's very personal. Paul was in Rome. He was in a house arrest, meaning he had privileges. He could walk around and visit with people. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. You may say poor Paul, but in reality it's the poor Roman guard. He got to hear the gospel for six hours. They did six-hour shifts. Imagine if you were this pagan Roman guard and you got to go, oh, I got to be attached, I got to be chained up to that guy? Oh, my goodness. He keeps talking about Jesus all the time. Talking about this gospel. You know, you're a pagan dude, you know. You don't think about that kind of stuff. And you have to be, that's your responsibility, you know. That's why Paul would say in the book of Philippians, some from the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard greet you. Why? Because some were coming to faith. Talk about a jail minister. Paul had it. So he was able to, be, to visit with people and have people visit him. And what had happened is 
if you look back in verse 7 in Colossians 1, Epaphras, who is most likely Epaphroditus that's mentioned uh, in the book of, I think, Philippians, same guy, he comes and he talks to Paul and says, let me tell you what's going on in the Colossian church. Let me give you a report. We learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister. He's made known to us your love in the Spirit. Even though Epaphras most likely communicated the challenges and the issues that Paul needs to address, he says, you have genuine love in the Spirit for each other, to God. And, and so, from the day we heard that, from the day we heard of the love that's in your heart for each other and for the Lord, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul is encouraged by the love of the brethren. Paul is encouraged by the love in the church that's being expressed in the church by the members of the church. And it's prompted his heart to pray to God for them. We don't cease. We don't stop. It's not like, you know, oh, I'll pray for you. But then you forget. The Colossian church, as all the churches that Paul was a part of, they were on his heart. I mean, I can relate to that because even though we've been in the U.S. since June, there's not a day that goes by that you, we don't think about the people in the Philippines that is our church there. Those people are dearer to us. I can resonate with that. So Paul prays for them. But what's crucial is what he's praying for. Notice this. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. Verse 9. What are we asking God for? This is, this is beautiful. I'm asking that you, you plural, the church, may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And the his would refer back to God, to Christ. I'm praying to God that God would fill you with a knowledge of his will. Now, when you read a statement like that, you're probably like, okay, what does that mean? And if you break it down, it, it goes like this. The word for filled. Don't think of it as filling a glass jar with water or something. That's kind of how we think of the word filled. This word filled is used by Paul to talk about being filled with, his, with God's word, being filled by the Spirit. This word comes over again. This word filled will be used by Paul in other contexts. But it's the word that goes back to the idea of control. Control. And what Paul is praying to God for is, God, I want the Colossians... Colossian believers, the Colossian church, I want them to be controlled by a knowledge of you and of your will. I want them to understand you. I want them to understand your desires, your will, your direction. I want, to, I want them to be led by you, controlled by you, motivated by you. I want them to live their life in dependence upon you. That's what he's praying for. 
I don't want them to go off into heresy. I don't want them to have to think a different way. I don't want them to get focused on this or that or the other. I don't want them to focus on the politics of the country or the, or the, or the social injustice of the country. I want them to be primarily focused upon you. And if they're focused upon you, everything else will make sense. And it's a knowledge of God's will, not man's will. God's will. And we always have that question, what is God's will for my life? And that's a valid question to ask. But Paul's point is that if, you have, if you're filled or controlled by the knowledge of God's will, it will be in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the point Paul's making by adding that phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding, it's knowledge of who God is and who Christ is and what God and Christ want for your life through the power of the Holy Spirit as demonstrated or as revealed by His Word. That's the idea of spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's connected to what he has revealed about himself. How do we know our God? How do we learn about him? How do we understand him? Through his word that he's revealed. It's always been that way. And it will remain that way. Holy Spirit helps us understand his revealed word. And Paul wants them to know that. Paul wants them to live their life directed and led by God, not going here or there or tossed to and fro. I remember some months ago when the pandemic hit and then all the social unrest hit. I remember Milton making a statement in one of his sermons. And I forget what Sunday it was, but I'll never forget this statement. He said, stop watching. I'm probably paraphrasing. Um, stop watching Rachel Maddow and Fox News. And I thought, that's wise. <laughs> I, was, I had just watched Fox News before that comment. So... And it's three stations back, and I can watch Rachel Maddow. It's very close together on the TV dial. Paul wants them to be directed and controlled by a knowledge of who God is. It's no different than being controlled, what I call, by gospel knowledge. You've got to understand the truth. And we say we do. But Paul's point is he's praying this not for the, uh, for the unsaved. He's praying this for the, those who are believers. He's wanting them, you, you live in a world that is against Christ every day. And, it ha and there's this worldly philosophy and this worldly philosophy and this agenda and that agenda. And you can get so stuck on those agendas. And, you, and your life gets so in, captivated by those agendas. And it shouldn't. 
If we understand God and understand His will, you know what? Politics is going to make sense to us. And how we relate to each other is going to make sense to us. We don't have to get our teaching from the secular media on any side of it. We get it from God. And that's what we're controlled by. And we're controlled by a knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? What will it produce? So, that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You want to please the Lord? Fully pleasing to Him? You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for them to be controlled by gospel knowledge. Understand the truth and live by it. That's his point. That's always been his point. That's always been his encouragement, his challenge for everyone, for all of us. You read his epistles and they begin to sound the same way. He's got this one message that he says in different ways. And it's that, I want you to understand your Lord and your Savior and be controlled by Him and live for Him and live for His glory. And walk in a manner, that's the idea of the, the, the outflow of your life, that it, that it will be worthy of Him. Pleasing to Him. And I'm going to tell you something, you'll never be perfect at it. None of us will be. Humility acknowledges that we'll never be perfect. One guy said one time, I've always been perfect. One time I thought I wasn't, when in reality I was. And he was a joke. Joke long, that's how we say it in the Philippines. Um, but no, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to arrive. But that's what Paul would talk about in the book of Philippians. You're always striving. Never to arrive in this life. But that should be the direction. That should be your heart. Judge everything by Scripture. It doesn't matter what the news media says and what the pundits say and how they interpret it. On either side. It doesn't matter what, what MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News for that matter say and how they interpret it. What matters is what God says. And we should think biblically, think scripturally. This is what Paul's praying for. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying for the Colossian church. If they don't do this, that heresy will take over. That was the fear. That this heresy that diminishes who Christ is, that diminishes the gospel, that it would take over. And the Colossian church would no longer be a church. But maybe it would turn into a bar or a social club. And Paul did not want that to happen. But Paul keeps going, and this is where it gets very interesting. And I'll go through this. This will make sense once we go through it. What he does is, He's kind of asking the question. And you may have this question. Okay, Paul, you're praying that God will 
We'll, we'll do that. We'll enlighten them we'll, so that they will be fully controlled by your will, that they will be led by you, and they'll realize that. How would that look in their life if they follow that? What would their life look like if they actually do that, if they actually are controlled with, by a knowledge of God's will? How does that look? How does that practically manifest itself? And that's the rest of the prayer. He says here, if this is, if this is going to manifest, here's how it would look. You're going to bear fruit, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, he says there would be a display of spiritual growth in Christ. Right? We talk about spiritual growth. That's what Paul's saying here. He, he uses this analogy, this picture of bearing fruit. You know, I've never, I've, I've been up north, but I've never really been to like um, these vineyards, you know, that where the grapes are growing. I mean, I've seen, I've seen trees that have oranges or whatever. I mean, you've seen fruit on a tree, but I've never seen like grapes and vines, not, well, just never walked through those. Seen them on TV. But the analogy is pretty simple to understand. Bearing fruit. And Jesus would talk about this in John 15. You abide in the vine, and it bears fruit. Jesus would say, good tree bears good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. So the analogy of fruit bearing is pretty common in Scripture. Everyone understands it. Everyone gets it. And Paul is saying, if you're controlled by a knowledge of God's will, you will bear fruit. In every good work. And you will increase in your understanding, your knowledge of who God is. One affects the other. They're all connected. The level of your growth, the, the, the magnitude of your growth is a reflection of the depthness of your understanding of who God is and what, he, and, and what he's all about. And, and so it's a, it's a reflection of the depthness of your understanding of Scripture. That's the way it's always been. Why do you think we, we as Christians, we promote having Bible study? It's because when you study the scriptures, it takes you deeper. So that you can bear more fruit. You remember the parable of the sower? There was only one soil that produced a crop. And it was the fourth soil. And Jesus said it 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And some, when, I, when, I, when I was first studying the Bible, I thought that meant 30%, 60%, 100%. I'm like, you mean there's different levels of percentages? That's the way I don't know. That has nothing to do with it. 30-fold is a bumper crop. Okay? It's like, wow. So the point of that is that there are different levels of growth. That's obvious. But the point is, there's growth. That's what Jesus is trying to say there. And Paul's just, re, just piggybacking on that and saying, listen, if you are controlled by a knowledge of God's will, that means you're in the Word. That means you're studying. That means you're understanding Scripture and that you're controlled by what you learn from Scripture. It affects you on a daily life, and so you're going to manifest spiritual growth that comes with increased knowledge of God and what that knowledge produces. Fruit. Fruit. There will be a spiritual growth. 
It will happen. Does that mean we shouldn't have discipleship? Oh, no, we ought to. We got to have discipleship. You want to know how God uh, helps you to understand Scripture? You don't just go into your closet, okay? It doesn't just happen like this. Go into your closet and, and just study on your own. You can do that, and you can learn. But God has other means to do it as well through preachers, teachers, fellow believers, life on life, discussing God's Word, fellowship amongst each other, right? You increase in your knowledge of God, and, in, in it, and you bear fruit as a result of that. So Paul would say there will be spiritual growth. Second item that he had, uh, says, the second way it will be manifested. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Oh, this is beautiful. This is, this is interesting. Now, look at this. You see the word strengthened with all power. Now, that's a common phrase that Paul will, will use throughout Scripture. And, and it, but sometimes it's difficult for us to put an understanding on that. So the idea of strengthened with all power, see that in contrast to your abilities. You see, we like to think we got it all together. I'm good. It's all good. There's no problem here, you know. How you doing? I'm doing fine. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Got any problem? No, I'm good. It's all good. And, and, and that's how we'll, somebody asks us about oh, I'm, I'm good. Now, they got problems. But I'm all good. We're usually able to spot problems in everybody else, right? Not ourselves. We like to pump ourselves up, promote ourselves. That's just normal human nature. And the more you understand who God is and bear fruit, the less you should do that. The more humble you should be. When Paul talks about being strengthened with all power, it means you rely upon him. You rely upon God. You're, Paul is saying, God, I want them to understand what it means not only to bear fruit and grow spiritually, but I also want them to understand what it means to show spiritual strength in Christ, to show dependence upon Christ, to live in the realm where they understand and walk in humility and realize that they can't do it on their own. If you try, you will fail. Pride goes before the fall. God lifts up the humble, but opposes the proud. Paul is praying that God will strengthen them and, 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 and this is through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would, they would this is another way of him, say, of him saying, be controlled by the Spirit. You have to rely upon the Spirit. And when, you, when we say that, it sounds like, are you asking me to do something mystical? Like, oh, you know, do I do, do, I do that by transcendental meditation? Is there some kind of formula? Is this the same thing as being slain in the Spirit? You know, no, it has nothing to do with that. I don't know what it means to be slain in spirit. It's not in the Bible. When he talks about being strengthened with all power, it's learning to live your life, understanding that you can't figure everything out. Try it for once. You'll fall flat. 
Think about the coronavirus situation. Everybody just wants it to go away, and we all go back to normal. What's normal now? Are we ever going to go back to normal? Seems like nobody can solve that problem. You know, I watched videos, YouTube videos of stuff that went on two years ago. Like, I watched, like, baseball highlights. I love baseball. I told Mike Berry I was going to wear my Dodger shirt today. He, said, he advised against that. Couldn't even wear a Dodger mask, you know. I was just like, don't do that, you know. That was the one bright spot of 2020 for me. The Dodgers finally won the World Series. It was close. But anyway, you know, we, we, we face all these challenges. And we face everything going on. And I don't think the world has an understanding of what normal is. But like I said, I was, I'd watch these baseball highlights of all the stadiums filled with people. And I'm freaking out. You're not socially distancing. Where's the mask? And I'm thinking, oh, it's pre-COVID, you know. It's just, it's, we've been doing this for so long. That seems weird. That doesn't even seem normal anymore. I bet you when this is all over, whatever this looks like, the plexiglass will still be up at Walmart. <laughs> and the signs will still be there. Wear your mask. Socially distance. Something like that. You have to live your life trusting in God, being strengthened with all of his power according to his glorious might. Here is the God who created the world. Here is the God who sustains the world. Here is the God who is going to end it on his terms. Read the book of Revelation. He has all the might necessary, and he had the ability to die on a cross and rise again for you and save you from your sins. He is the all-powerful one. He says, I can lay my life down. I can rise it up again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He controls everything. He's sovereign over everything. We talk about God's providence, God's sovereignty. And Paul is saying, I want them to understand that on a day-to-day -day basis. I want, I want the Colossian church to live in light of God's sovereignty. Even when the world's falling apart, have the joy of the Lord. Let that be your strength. You have something that the world does not have. You have salvation. Your life has been changed. You have eternal life. Yeah, the world has gone crazy. What would you expect? It, that's all it knows. It doesn't know any different. We know something different. We know there's the God in heaven who loves us and, and placed His Spirit within us who lives in and through us. And that gives us joy. And that gives us endurance and patience. That comes with joy. I want them to rely upon the power of God. I want them to display, there will be a display of spiritual strength. Not only spiritual growth, but spiritual strength. Remember Jesus told the apostles, they're going to call you into the synagogues to, for you to give an account of what you believe, right? They're going to put you on trial. And at that moment, you may not know what to say, but the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say. That's called living by faith. 
If one of the things the coronavirus and everything gone on in the world in the last in 2020 has taught us, it's taught us this. It's God reminding us that we better walk and live by faith. Because we don't know if we're going if tomorrow we're not even going to be allowed into Walmart to buy groceries. And Amazon may shut down. Don't think it will, but it could. Could you live your life without being able to order something on Amazon? How would we survive? You know, there used to be a day when there weren't, we didn't have cell phones. My kids don't know what that's like. So there will be spiritual growth and there will be spiritual strength. Finally, I call it, there will be a spiritual understanding in Christ. This kind of wraps it up. Look at verse 12, 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father. So again, Paul's connecting all these elements together, these ways in which being controlled by gospel knowledge will manifest itself. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is, again, this is another beautiful statement, but I've got to give you an understanding. I've got to give, break it down for you in a certain way so you can understand it. Think about your life before you were a Christian. Okay? Before you repented and had faith in Christ for, for salvation. Think about it. You were living in the, you may not have felt it, you may not have thought about it, you may not have realized it, but you were living in the domain of darkness at that time, okay? Didn't feel like darkness, no, probably didn't. But you were in it. That was your world. That was where you would have gone. That was going to be the end result for you, domain of darkness. And you were fully guilty of your sin. And that's why you lived in the domain of darkness. And at the end of your life, you would go into an eternal hell where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth. And you would not have any inheritance. And as Paul would tell the Corinthians, we were all men most miserable. If you think about your life before salvation, you were a wretch. Deserving of his wrath, deserving of everything that he could give you, not in a good way. Because of your sin. And you rightfully deserved it. All of us rightfully deserve it. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We have no ability to do so. You can't make your life good enough to, to, to qualify for heaven. You know, people will come to Jesus on the last day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did this in your name. We did this in your name. And the implication is, does not that qualify us for heaven? And he says, I'm going to look at them and say, nope. You're workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. That's going to be a shock to the system. But Lord, I got my Starbucks card. I'm, aren't I good? No. What about a Walmart gift card? Does that qualify? No. No. 
You're still in the domain of darkness. You're still dead in your sins. Jesus looked, at the, looked at right at a Pharisee, a religious leader, and said, you will die in your sins unless you believe. You know what? That's not politically correct. That's divisive language. That's stirring up a hornet's nest that's bigger than the murder hornet, whatever they call it. You heard about that? These big old hornets? Come from Japan, I think, and have migrated over. But Paul is saying, if you're controlled by a knowledge of God, then you're going to have a spiritual, not only growth, spiritual strength, there's going to be a manifestation of spiritual understanding. And what does that mean? You're going to understand better and better, day by day, your knowledge of who you are in Christ is going to grow. You're going to understand that you have an inheritance now. Something that's given to you that you did not earn. You're going to now realize where you have been taken from and what you've been taken to. You've been taken out of the domain of darkness. He's delivered you out of that, and he has transferred you. You didn't do it yourself. He transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. He didn't have to do that. There was nothing that said he had to do it, but he chose to do it. Why? Because he loves you. He died on the cross for you, saved you, changed you. He forgave you for, of your sins. It was your sins, not his, yours. And he forgave you and provided redemption. That means he was willing to sacrifice his own life so that you would not have to be sacrificed. There was no way you could die for your own sins anyway. You had no power. Paul is saying, God, I want you to help them to understand. God, I want you to show them. God, I want, them to, I want you to teach them. Help them to realize what it means to really be a Christian because this heresy that's coming down the road won't teach them that. It will confuse them. I want them to be reminded of the cross. I want them to be reminded of your victory on the cross. I want them to be reminded of how you conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And how one day, they will receive, even though it's theirs now, they're going to fully experience the inheritance that you have given to them. And if they can understand this now, it will help them live in this sinful world today. You can only be controlled by gospel knowledge if you understand that gospel knowledge. You do not have to live in this world moping around and depressed and, and all down in the dumps because the world is, is on its way to hell. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to get down in the dumps. Life is hard. Life is difficult. This world is on its way to a mess. It's already a mess. And no amount of government, I don't care what stripe it is, is going to clean it up. And that's just reality. And God has left us here not to try to worry about cleaning up society. He's left us here to be an example and a shining light of what it means to live in the joy of the Lord. Not to be depressed about what's going on. 
It doesn't mean we don't understand what's going on and we don't realize what's going on. We should be most knowledgeable about those things. We as Christians should understand what it means to love each other no matter the color of our skin. We should know that better than anybody else. Doesn't matter what you look like or where you come from in this world. What motivates you to love each other? It should be the love of Christ that's in your heart. I like what Revelation says that in, you know what the future is going to be like? There's people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, right? Heaven's going to be filled multiculturally. If you think about what Christ has done in your life, how he's changed you, the richness of that truth, and you, and you live in the light of that, you can be an example and a shining light and be a testimony of God's grace in the midst in a world that changes every day, that has one drama to the next, and that's usually bad stuff no matter what it is. Hey, today it's the coronavirus. Next year it's going to be something else. You think when the coronavirus is over, we're all going to have utopia? Don't think so. There's going to be something coming down the road. It's just the way life is. But you don't have to get depressed by that. Say, God, you know what? You've, gi you've given me the opportunity. And Paul will say that in Colossians 3. Make the most of the opportunities. You've given me the opportunity to live in this world, even though it's on its way to hell, to be a shining light to it. So live through me, even though I'm imperfect. Do your work in and through me, even though I'll never arrive. Let, if there's any way in which I can show the joy of the Lord, the Lord to these people, to the world, to my neighbors, to my workmates, people who don't know you, think about all the deaths of coronavirus, right? Over 400,000. Ask yourself this, how many of those people knew the Lord? Because when death comes, no matter what it come, when it comes and how it comes, it's final, right? Larry King died yesterday. Did he know the Lord? I know he heard the truth. But did he know the Lord? God's left us here to be a shining light to the world, to be a testimony. And the only way we can be that testimony is be controlled by a knowledge of his will. Be controlled by the understanding of what he has done in our life, how he's changed us, and how he lives through us. Imperfect people that we are. And that's where we experience the joy of the Lord. And that's where we experience his strength. And that's how we grow. So be controlled by a knowledge of his will. Make that a priority. I don't know, it could be the same thing as drinking the fumes of downtown Gospel City. I think that was a statement by Milton one time when I first got here years ago. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like looking at Kim going, what is he smoking? And I was like, never heard that before. I'm like, they didn't teach me that one in seminary, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. But... 
we, we, have, we have the joy of the Lord. We can show that. We can live in the light of that and face the challenges that we have to face like the Colossian church had to face its challenges. There always will be those challenges and, uh, that are surrounding us, and we do it as believers. We follow what Scripture says, live in light of what Scripture says, and never let that go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do give you thanks again for today and for this word that you've given us from Colossians. Lord, we are thankful that these words from the Apostle Paul are scripture to us and help remind us of what you have done in our life and how you want us to live. That it's all being led by you, filled with your knowledge, filled with an understanding of who you are and what you say in your revealed word and how these precious truths that we, we acknowledge them, we need to live by them. And especially with the challenges we face today. Sometimes that's difficult. We get so focused on the challenges, on what's going on in the world, that we lose sight of the gospel, of the clear teaching that we are to be directed by. Let us make gospel decisions in life that reflect who you are, that reflect your will, your desire, your frame of mind, your direction for our life. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.